You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Exodus. Deliverance. A way out. When the Israelites were captive to a bondage forged by human hands, God delivers. When the idolatry of their human hearts was louder than the hunger after their God, God is faithful. When God's people forfeited the blessings of his divine presence, God restores relationship. At the moment, God meets with Moses on the mountaintop. He has already saved them. God redeems and brings his people into freedom and then provides instruction on how to live. Be holy for I am holy, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Be holy and show the nations who I am. Moses, an instrument of God's rescuing, leads the Israelites out of physical bondage in Egypt. Yet he is a mere shadow, a pale precursor to the one who leads God's people out of eternal spiritual bondage and sin, Jesus Christ, the one who came to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and to set the oppressed free. This is a story of rescue and freedom a story of God's desire to dwell with his people, a story of grace upon grace. Morning. Morning. My name is Ronnie. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders at Gospel Community Church. Uh, If you do and you call this place your home, it's always good to be here together again with family. I have to warn you guys and apologize I get really excited about talking about God's word. And normally my wife is here to kind of give me hand signals, like calm down a little bit when I'm getting a little excited. Um, But my son, my oldest son has been kind of throwing up the last couple days. So he's sick at home and she's kind of watching over him. So pray for her. Um, She said, I'm not allowed to come home unless I have Starbucks in my hand. So So if you're visiting, we're glad to have you here today. We promise not to do anything weird to you. Uh, We hope that everything we do here is just to lift up and magnify the name of Christ. Our mission is to make Jesus a hero. As we go throughout the text, I I hope you grow in your understanding. I hope you walk away with a better understanding of the gospel. I hope no one walks away confused about it. You can be angry about what I say. I would be okay with that, as long as you didn't walk away misunderstanding the things that I said. As Ian said, we're picking up where actually he left off last week. I know a lot of us were, a lot of the men anyways, were gone last week for man camp, but we're picking up where Ian left off and we're actually gonna be finishing Exodus. So we're going from chapter 35 all the way to 40. So it's six chapters. It's a lot of ground to cover. If you want, go ahead and grab your Bible. If you want to try and attempt to follow along with me as I blast through six chapters, I always like to try to stick to just one main point uh, of everything that's said. I'd like us diving into the text with one thing in our minds as we're looking through it and at least one thing to take home and be thinking about as we go throughout our week. And that one main point as we look through and close Exodus is this. All of what God is accomplishing through what he has given us is for his glory. If you're a note taker, all of what God is accomplishing through what he has given us is for his glory. We're going to see some ways in which God has gifted his people. God's going to call them to do a lot of things. And the, the 
way they're going to be able to do a lot of what have, that God has called them to do is going to be through what he has gifted them with. The purpose of these things that God is calling them to do and the purposes of all that he's given them, whether giftings and skill or even resources, was to the exaltation of his name. It was to glorify God. And this is even something we could ask ourselves. If you're a note taker, you could write this down as well or something just to be thinking about as you go throughout the week and ask yourself, how has God, how has God gifted me? And how can I use the gifts that God has given me to glorify him? Now, God gives us all different kinds of things as far as what I, what I would consider giftings, whether resources, skills, and talents, as we'll see as we dive into the text. And we have different things we can do with those. And to my own shame, I have to confess that oftentimes I use those to grab glory for myself instead of giving it back to God. It was one of my favorite things about being in the military was all the little pieces of candy and shiny bling that I got to put on my uniform when we went to fancy dress formals. As a matter of fact, my favorite thing was this, it was a German marksmanship badge. And so there was, a, there was different levels of their shooting competition. You had like the bronze, the silver, and the gold. And of course, I had the gold. And because it was a German marksmanship badge, it was very rare. Not everybody got a chance to go overseas and shoot with the Germans in their competition. And it was an authorized award that we were allowed to wear. So almost every time I went to a formal thing, people got to ask me. And you'd think I'd get annoyed, but no, I like being asked how I got that medal. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you why you don't have this cool little gold medal and cord on your, your uniform. If you were cool like me, you might have gone to Germany. No. Uh, but I, I like receiving praise. I liked graduating a couple weeks ago, and I like every single time somebody says congrats. I liked winning the foosball competition at man camp uh, just last weekend with uh, the other champ over there, Matt. I like being up here and preaching. I like being told I, I did a good job afterwards. I like receiving praise and glory for all the things that I do, even though I know that none of it would have been given to me without the gracious hand of God. Many times, a lot of us are more interested in using the resources that God has given us or the, or the skills that God has given us to bring ourselves glory instead of God. As a matter of fact, some people would probably be offended if you were to suggest to them that God had blessed them in some way in response to some amazing feat that they had accomplished. Or if you look on the, their life and how well it's been blessed and all the things they have, and you say, man, God's really blessed you. Some people might be a little indignant and say, blessed? What are you talking about? Blessed? I've earned all these things. I work hard for this. Many people who are skilled or blessed with a tremendous amount of resources don't acknowledge God or the people that God has placed in their lives to help them get to where they are. Sometimes they see people as nothing more than stepping stones to help propel them into the spotlight of praise and adoration. Instead of using what God has given us to glorify him, we often use it to lift ourselves up, and the world is all the worse for it. As we see, all of what the Israelites were given was to lift up and exalt God. It even says at one point in Deuteronomy that what they're going to be doing in the construction of the tabernacle and the laws that God has given them, that other nations would look to God and glorify him because of their work. We don't lift up God's name. We don't honor his work. We don't herald his message, which restores the greatest relational fracture we've received from the fall, which is our, our separation from him. It's all about our name and our work and our message that's important concerning what, what's important to us. And I know there are people that they may not like the idea of God demanding worship or even or saying like people should come and worship and exalt him and make much of him. And yet, at the same time, they, you see, worship is all about just ascribing appropriate worth and value. Most people wouldn't have any problem if I did something similar to that with their favorite baseball player. If I was to wax eloquent about his skill and his ability as a pitcher and said, well, he has a golden arm, nobody would bat an eye. 
But how awful would it be if we lifted up our hands and sung praise and worship and give back what God has given us and worship the God who's created the world that the pitcher lives in, the people that are there to enjoy his skill, his ability to throw a ball so quickly, and his desire to improve upon that skill. God has graciously given us many gifts, and this is all according to his grace. Not just in the deliverance of these gifts, but also in the purpose of them. They're not just something here to entertain us, but God is actually doing something that will go beyond our small lives here. And this is a beautiful aspect we can never forget. We've been saved, we've been transformed, but we've also been commissioned. We've been given purpose. So let's pray together and look and see what God's word would have us do with what he's given us today. God, you've given us things that we could never obtain on our own, even down to this life itself. Even our ability to sharpen skills is something that comes from your merciful hand. This world is filled with raw material and resources that we're able to use to to build all different kinds of things and innovate. I pray with whatever thing you've given us on earth, we would use it in order to magnify your name and help point the world to you. And we pray as we look at the tabernacle and its construction that you would help us see how all of what they are doing has been accomplished and fulfilled in Jesus. We thank you for this morning, and we pray this in his name. Amen. So I know some people might get tired of hearing this as we're coming to the close in Exodus. Good news is this will be the last time this happens, at least for Exodus, but I'm going to do a quick recap. There may be people here who have not that are just kind of jumping in. I promise this will be the fastest recap we've done in Exodus so far. So Exodus begins with the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. God helps them obtain freedom through Moses. You remember the 10 plagues? Even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard this story. It's very popular in, in, in pop culture. God leads them through the Red Sea. He brings them out into the wilderness. He gives them the Ten Commandments, and then he gives them instructions on, the, on building of the tabernacle. All of these things so that God would dwell with his people. So he pulls them, out of, pulls them out of Egypt, guides them into the wilderness, gives them his law, communicates who he is to them in a sense, and then he gives them the instructions of the tabernacle. They have all these things. Now, this is where we're coming in in Exodus chapter 35. Before we look at verse 2, now that they've received all these instructions, they're going to gather supplies. Moses is about to do that, and they're about to construct the tabernacle itself. Before they build this mobile Eden here on earth, if you don't remember or you weren't here, Rick and Brad, they, they preached on this, that the tabernacle was meant to mirror that moment in human history when God dwelt with his people. The garden was filled with gold and onyx and precious stones. We saw from Genesis 2, 11 through 12, and we compare that to the breastplate that the priests would wear and the garments they would go in in Exodus 28. The trees in the garden of life and of the knowledge of good and evil from Genesis 2, 9, we compare that to the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25 and the wood that was used to construct that. The cherubim placed at the entrance of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were cast out. This is also reflected in the cherubim that are placed on the Ark of the Covenant, also on the veil that separated the most holy place from the holy place from the most holy place. So that is reflective of the cherubim placed at the garden when Adam and Eve were cast out so they wouldn't be able to enter back in. And finally, the very presence of God dwelling with his people again, just as he did In Exodus 3.8, when he would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, God was creating a space where he could dwell again with his people. But before they build any of that stuff, that's meant to reflect what we're longing for also in the future, that time when heaven and earth were once united together, yet ripped apart by the fall. God is bringing those two dimensions together again here on earth. 
Before they do any of those things, Moses reminds them to Sabbath. Look at chapter 35, verse 2. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. If this sounds familiar at all, this is from Exodus 30, 31. God gives them instructions for the tabernacle, and he reminds them to take a rest. This was before the whole golden calf debacle, if you remember that. God's reminding them that as they begin to build the tabernacle, which is, as we saw, reflective of that original creation, they're also called to rest and remember all that God has given them, all that God has done for them. As, and this is a reminder for us, as you're going about your life, we're called to not forget to stop and to rest and remember what God has done. This is an unfortunate thing. I, don't, I actually don't think this is as big in American culture as it used to be. I think we're getting, maybe swinging the other way a little bit with, with the new generation. But rest is a good thing. And it's incredibly destructive when you, when you just continue working and grinding. If you have a culture that places such a heavy emphasis on work and never stops and recognizes the creator. You look at cultures like Japan. Um, I, their government has just recently come out. They're trying to get people to have kids. Their birth rates are so low. There's such a high emphasis on working and grinding and getting to the top of the corporate ladder that they're basically disappearing as a nation. In those first six days of creation, God had put all the resources that we now use to build dwellings, to develop products, to solve problems, to innovate. He did all those things. And as we reflect his creative power in making things ourselves, we're also called to stop and remember who put it all there in the first place, who created all this. It, it, it can get... It's very easy to get caught up in all the different things that we're doing in the busyness of life, especially as you, you finish school and you get a career and you get a family. It's very easy to forget who's giving you all these things that you're working so hard to maintain. So before they begin gathering supplies, they need to remember they're here because of God's grace and they will only continue on because of it. And this is interesting. In, in Exodus 35.5, as Moses goes to tell them and get the contribution so that they can start building things, this is a very interesting thing that I think a lot of people outside the church might not understand and be a little confused by, and it's, even, it's part of that upside-down nature of God's kingdom and God's way of doing things. He says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Now, if you've been following the story, they were slaves in Egypt, and now they're wandering out in the wilderness. Slaves to wandering in the wilderness. How, where exactly are they supposed to get all these precious stone and fabrics that Moses is now asking for? They just went from slavery down to the wilderness. They have nothing. How are they supposed to accomplish any of this, correct? Where would they get the things that Moses is asking for? Well, if you look back at Exodus 12, 35 through 36, you would know and we would remember that they got that from the Egyptians. It basically says they plundered them. Whether it was out of fear or some kind of prompting on their hearts from God, the Egyptians forked over basically all their stuff as the Israelites were leaving Egypt. The Egyptians gave them all their, their onyx, their gold, their fine linens, their fabrics that they're now going to use in the construction of the tabernacle. And now the part here that I find interesting that is different from, I would say, the way that fallen man would think or how I would think is that he says, whoever is of a generous heart. I got to be honest, if I was in Moses' position, I would probably say something a little bit more like, you know all that nice stuff you guys have? The gold, the fabrics, you know, none of you would have any of that if it wasn't for God. I don't care if you're a gracious heart or not. You need to fork this over. As a matter of fact, you would still be slaves back in Egypt, so give it now. There would be no asking of generous hearts. That's what I and many others would probably say. But we also know from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 or 7 and the recent series we did on money that God loves a cheerful giver. 
God wants us to give, it even says, not under compulsion. And not to throw shade on churches that do this, but this is the theological reason behind us not passing a plate around here. We have the giving boxes on the side and an opportunity to give and participate in the mission here at Gospel Community Church Online, but we don't want an offering basket to pass before someone's hand and then look to their left and right and out of a sense of guilt or compulsion put money in because God doesn't desire that. He's not looking to guilt or demand even with everything he's given. He could have demanded it. I think he had every right. They'd have nothing without him. And yet even then, he doesn't just take it from them. This is part of the many ways in which God's kingdom is very different than ours, that I think a lot of us fail to reflect even in our own lives. One way in in which I constantly fail to reflect the kingdom of God and the way that he calls us to live would be, I don't think I would surprise anybody in this room if I said, just looking at different polling from different places, the people leading our country aren't soaring in popularity right now. But how many times have we prayed for them? I admit I often make more snide remarks and under offhanded jokes than I've gone to God and interceded for them as we're called to do in 1 Timothy 2. We're even called to pray for our enemies. This is so upside down from our way of thinking. Jesus calls to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. God works very differently. He's not demanding that they give over all the things that he's giving them, but he's asking them to participate with us with him in what he's accomplishing here on earth. God's way seems odd, but it's ultimately for his glory. He's rescuing people, graciously pouring out gifts on them, and then looking for generous givers rather than demanding obligatory giving. Now God here is able to accomplish all the things that he's seeking to do through what he's given people, or given his people. And in verses 20 through 29, they respond, and they give willingly. Their hearts were stirred, and they gave. They reflected on all that God had done, and they responded. And now God didn't just give them physical gifts in order to accomplish this task. Look at Exodus 35, 30 through 31. It says, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, and he is filled with him, the spirit of God. And this is interesting. It's not just skill. It's with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. God is blessing them with talent, with knowledge, with intelligence, the ability to figure things out and accomplish these things. God is the master of all these things, knowledge, intelligence, and especially craftsmanship. This is a rabbit hole we could go down all day, but God is the master of craftsmen. Oftentimes our scientists, when they're looking for new innovation, when we're trying to develop new technology, we oftentimes look to nature. We ask questions like, how is it that the gecko is able to crawl on the ceiling like that without leaving any kind of residue behind? And how can we innovate this into our technology? How can we utilize this? We look to things like the lotus leaf and how it effectively repels water and ask ourselves, how is it that the spider silk is so incredibly strong? You probably didn't think that as you walked out your house this morning and got whacked with one in the face. But the spider silk is one of the strongest materials on earth considering how small it is. Our scientists looked at the humpback whales and how efficiently they move through water and asked how we can develop this technology in wind turbines and the the color and iridescence of butterfly wings. How can we use that in different optics? Scientists are oftentimes trying to solve our problems, not by, as one sergeant when I was overseas believed, and no offense if you believe anything like this, But he believed that new technology that's constantly developed, this comes from aliens communicating with men. He actually said our our phones, that this new breakthrough in technology was from aliens. I don't think it's from aliens. I think it is from looking at the most alien thing to our existence, which is God. What he has created is so high above what you or I fashion that we often look to it for inspiration. And and this is really cool. You guys want a fun Bible fact? 
All right, who doesn't want a fun Bible fact? This is really cool. If you look at Genesis 1-1 where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that word created, bara, never in all of the Old Testament is it used to, to describe the actions of men. This means that out of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 20 to 30 authors that wrote it over the course of a thousand years, never use that word bara to describe the actions of men whether building or establishing, it never said that what they did was create. So even the authors of the Old Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, made a clear distinction between God's creating out of nothing and our taking the raw materials he's given us here on earth and developing things. Kind of cool, right? If that doesn't get you excited about God's word, I don't know if we can be friends. Now, back to the construction of the tabernacle and the talent God has given his people. It's not just one man. You look at Exodus 36.2. It was Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Through their construction, God will dwell with them. And as I said earlier in Deuteronomy, the construction of this tabernacle, it's not just the laws that God has given them, but it's also the construction of this tabernacle where God would come and dwell, where other nations would say, whoa, what kind of nation is this that has a God so close to it as this? So even through their skill, Here we have again, he'll be glorified through the skills he has gifted his people with. And it's not just the skilled laborers, everyone whose heart was stirred up to come and do the work. Some people who who work in different, um, who work in things like construction or contracting, you know, sometimes it just takes somebody to sweep up the floor. It's not necessarily are the people that know the craft well. Sometimes you just need to hand a young man a hammer and have him unga-bunga his way through demolition or something like that. And there's still useful in God's kingdom. Sometimes you may not feel particularly gifted with children. You may not feel like God has really given you the ability to go and communicate effectively to children, but perhaps if there's a need and your heart feels called, you just step in. Maybe you don't feel called to hospitality or or be a greeter. You don't think, I don't think God has really gifted me with the skill of hospitality or greeting, but you just step in and you feel a need. And, And you know what's hospitable? After a while, when people come every single Sunday and they see the same face over and over again, eventually that will become uh, familiar. It will become hospitable, seeing that same person, whether God has gifted you or not. Sometimes you just show up and you say, God, just use me. In, In whatever way that I can be helping out build your kingdom, I'm just here to serve faithfully. And so it's not just having some kind of special skill. Sometimes it's just showing up. And all of these things, now we've had the people bringing contributions We've had people using their skill. This is all in response to what God has done. And and this is amazing. In Exodus 36, 5 through 7, Moses actually has to tell them to stop. The people bring much more than enough to do the work. And he says, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing material. He literally had to tell them to stop. This is an amazing response to what God is doing and very appropriate. And I know a lot has happened throughout the book of Exodus. You know, in the midst of all their grumbling and their lack of faith, uh, that God has been dumping an endless amount of grace on them. You got to remember, he didn't just free them from the Egyptians. He made fools of their enemy. That was a part of it. There was retribution. When they came through the waters as God parted the sea and created that way for them to get through, he also brought the very instrument of their salvation up on top of the Egyptians, and it was their destruction. God humiliated their enemies that sought to do them incredible harm. He's making sure their bellies are full, their lips are never dry, and the soles of their shoes never wear out as they travel through the wilderness. He's graciously providing for them over and over again. And this is exactly how we should respond to God's grace. Especially when we reflect on our position to God outside of 
outside of Christ. You have to stop and think of all the things they're having to do here just so that God would dwell in their presence. God is holy. And we don't talk like this anymore, but I think it's something we still need to hear. Listen to how Jonathan Edwards expounds upon our situation here on earth in relationship to God outside of Christ in what is unquestionably the most famous sermon in all of American history. Jonathan Edwards says this about God and us. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He has a purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight, for you are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. There is not a word of what Edward says there that is incorrect. God is perfect in being, in a way that none of us can even begin to imagine. His holiness burns infinitely brighter than the sun. Look at all of what needs to be done just so that God could come and dwell in their presence. Not just the commandments, but the construction of the tabernacle, the washings, the altar. You look at all these things just so he could come into their midst. And then you look at the end of Exodus in chapter 40. After the making of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar of the incense in chapter 37, the altar of burnt offering, the bronze basin, the court in 38, the priestly garments in 39, and finally the tabernacle in chapter 40. In 34 through 35, you see this. After setting all that up, they have the commandments, they have the tabernacle, the priestly garments. It says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle in verses 34 and 35. And this was no golden calf. For it says, Moses was not able to enter the tent of, the, tent of meeting. God's presence comes to dwell, and Moses himself is not able to step into the presence of God. He's not just some man-made idol you can pack into your bag and carry around with you in the wilderness. They needed a place for him to dwell, and the people in his midst needed to be holy so that when he entered into their presence, they were not destroyed. It is incredibly dangerous for men to step into the presence of a thrice holy God. This is how Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 can stand with God in the temple and say, Woe is me! I am undone! This is how Isaiah feels when coming into the presence of God. Even the prince of prophets is profoundly perturbed in the presence of God. What hope is there for us? What hope is there for you or I who stand here with no ark, with no altar of burnt offering, no bronze basin, no lampstand, no high priest, no tabernacle? How can we be reconciled to God in the absence of all these things? How can we possibly dwell in his midst? How is it that we could stand in the presence of a holy God as nothing more than a detestable insect that hangs over the fire? And every kid who went to Sunday school said, Jesus. Now, some might be squirming in their chairs a bit and rolling their eyes and potentially even scoffing. Of course, Jesus. Jesus that's just the answer to everything. It's just kind of a catch-all when you don't know what to say and Jesus the answer. But let me ask you this. What was placed in the ark? It was the Ten Commandments, it was the pot of manna, and it was Aaron's staff. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father in every way that we have failed, perfectly fulfilling the commands of God. John 6, 35, Jesus says he is the bread of life. He is that pot of manna that sustains and gives us life, not only here, but eternal life with God. 
In Hebrews 4.14, it says, Jesus, the Son of God, is now our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf before God. He is the new great high priest who goes before God, interceding on our behalf so that Aaron and the priesthood is done away with. We need no lampstand, for in John 1.19, it says that Jesus is the true light, which gives light to everyone. The altar of burnt offering where the sacrifices were made to atone for sin, that's been done away with. For in 1 John 2.2, it says he is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus was offered up for atonement of our sins. He is the once-for-all sacrifice delivered for the saints. The bronze basin meant for washing has been fully manifested in the blood of Christ. As Paul says, you were washed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 6.11. There is now no tabernacle, for 1 John 14 tells us that Jesus became flesh and tabernacled. That word is actually tabernacled, dwelt with us, and not only him, but the Holy Spirit is also now dwelling inside of those who have placed their faith in Christ, so that God is with us. Even the priestly garments are done away with. As we've been given Christ's righteousness, his robe of righteousness has been placed over us. And it even says we will stand before him one day with people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, clothed in robes of white, it says in Revelation 7, 9. So in absence of all these things, the answer, yes, it is Jesus. He is the one who has done away with all these things. These were the dress rehearsals. These were the dress rehearsals, dress rehearsals pointing God's people to the future with what Jesus would come and do when he delivered the main event. In the same way that God rescued, provided, communed, and commissioned the Israelites in Exodus, God has also given us through Christ rescue, provision, communion, and commission. And that insect that hung above the fire by nothing more than the gracious hands of God has been brought close to the warmth of God's love through nothing other than our faith in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And this is Exodus. This is a story of of God's grace. Everything we've seen in the book of Exodus is all pointing us forward to what Jesus has done for us now. It's a book that I'm glad we've had the opportunity to visit together as a church, and I hope it's one that you continue to visit and revisit as you walk with God throughout throughout your life. In many ways, it it, it parallels our, our relationship with Christ now. Just as the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, we were enslaved to sin. Just like Then we had an impossible foe before us. Sin and death stood before us with no conqueror, with no champion to stand in the gap and take them down, just as the Israelites faced before them their their cruel taskmasters and Pharaoh. God rescued them and pulled them out just as he has us. He's provided that one way where he split the sea and the Israelites walked through that one way that we receive, we, we come back into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through faith in what he's done for us. Not in any of our works, If we tried to do anything on our own to merit God's favor towards us, we'd be stuck back in Egypt. But God's called us out through faith in Christ. The tabernacle, the law, everything that God had given the Israelites to show them who he was, was all pointing forward to the Messiah, to the one that would come and perfectly fulfill the commands of God. All the furnishings, the lampstand, the tabernacle, the priestly garments, the robe of white, all of it was pointing forward to Jesus. This is what they were looking forward to. This is what we celebrate. This is what we also look forward to. And now we get a respond in much of the same way that the Israelites did. We respond in in weeping and singing of praise and in joining God in ministry with the gifts that he's given us. We also, too, are called to use the gifts that God has given us to glorify and magnify his name. Amen? Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for this amazing book that you've preserved for us throughout all these years, that we could see and identify with the people, their struggles, enslaved with an impossible foe before them, God. There, There was nothing we could have done to bring ourselves back into relationship with you. We ourselves were an unholy people, yet you called us out and dwelt with us. We thank you for these words, God. And we pray that you would continue to work through us to accomplish your purposes here on this earth. And I pray all of what we would do would be to your glory. Amen.